forced to get off of home base. We thought it was too dangerous. They said too many people are getting hurt. There were 10 people that were taken off site. A lot of people have been talking about these fires, but it was so much more than that. Podcast 99. Welcome back to Podcast 99, folks. It has been quite a while since we've recorded an actual episode. I'm Ryan Lichten. I'm here with Parks Miller. It's Woodstock 99 season. All over again, you know, and just almost just in time for the 23rd anniversary of Woodstock 99. Well, wait, did oh yeah, yeah. Well, the anniversary just passed. Yeah, sorry. I meant almost in time like Oh, like we, we almost, almost got in yeah, time yeah. for it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Just reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I got you. Yeah. We're not early. We're, we're a little late. But yeah. the reason why we wanted to do this episode is because Netflix just released their take on Woodstock 99 titled Trainwreck. And uh, just right off the top, I'm going to say it's much better than the HBO one. Yeah. I'm glad you agree because I, for once, I watched it before you. And yeah. uh, I was chomping at the bit and I was like, I should, you know, just in case Ryan has a wildly different take, I want to like give, I don't want to bias, but yeah, initial reaction, much better, much fucking yeah. better than the HBO. Like I would recommend this and actually a friend of mine who didn't know about Woodstock was like, holy shit, I didn't know any of that stuff. And like my sister watched it. Like people. Like, who, how are you a friend of one of ours and not know anything about Woodstock 99? We only spent four fucking years <laughs> of our lives. <laughs> well, I actually met it. this person uh, kind of like after or like sort of after the fact. Right. Uh, kind of in the culture dumps. So I, they're definitely familiar with culture dumps. Um, but sort of like right after we had kind of sort of wrapped up, you know, Woodstock. Um, and you know, I'm kind of like, you know, I talk about it and like, but if you really want to know about it, go listen to the podcast. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if you happen to have over 200 hours of uh, right. <laughs> free time also, and you want to hear about it. And also thing, I just yeah. hadn't like necessarily, you know, I'm like, I, go, I I try to choose how much in depth I feel like talking about Woodstock at any given moment. You know, is it like a, Hey, yeah, exactly. You got 200 hours, you got 30 minutes, yeah. you got 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want the thug notes version <laughs> yeah, exactly. or the, uh, or the, yeah, or the, or the, the full on. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So, and I know that we've been talking about working on a Woodstock 99 documentary for uh, years now. And that one is coming out. I believe it will be out on Paramount plus by the end of the year it's called burn it down um but we were approached um initially by the production company that did this netflix one but we had already signed on but and uh i'm just gonna say it's uh didn't really stop them from just uh pawing through our show i mean the info is all within the show and uh they grabbed uh some uh, at least one they grabbed one of our guests uh, mm -hmm. from one of our episodes and in turn got the footage that that guy had which we initially uh, the, our camp had bid on and then Netflix was like oh well how much are they offering you double it because we're fucking Netflix right. so we lost out on that but we had the story first that was the guy calling but anyways, I mean, mm -hmm. this documentary, it's a series. First of all, it's like limited series, like three parters, which is great because it's hard to jam all that uh, in one documentary and not have it be kind of leaning more towards like the darkness and stuff. What I liked about this one is while, of course, that's the bulk of the documentary. I mean, the whole thing is called Trainwreck. They really focused more so on what was actually happening as opposed to the implications like in society. 
you know. Yeah. Yeah. I will just to get off the top to me. First off, it's three episodes. So it kind of loosely follows the three days of the festival, the three official days of the festival. Yeah. No uh, mention of the pre-show. That's it, podcast 99 territory. Of baby. course. But again, it again, like we are the deep divers. This is like three 45 minute episodes. I really thought it was a great job of like, here's like, you're going to get in a little bit, but yeah, like sure. Also the pre-show is really for us Woodstock nerds because in a way, you know, nothing necessarily significant in terms of the greater narrative happens other than watching fucking goofy Aerosmith covers from string cheese incident. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, Um, or the very first performer of the entire festival getting lost on his way to the stage. Yeah, exactly. That's still so classic to me. Yes. Um, but uh, the, you know, and then the second, the the first episode kind of does a little bit of pre-game Woodstock 69, setting the stage into first day. And then the second day is the second episode is all about the second day. And then the third episode is about the third day with a little bit of like aftermath. I just thought, I just thought first off, that was really well done doing the three day, three episode right. situation. But to me, and I guess we are, it is kind of comparing to the HBO, but one, some things I noticed that were better is first off, it was just like, let's, take this festival let's tell the story let's use people who were there at the festival and have them recount stories and kind of build a story from that let's get great footage and let's present it and like tell the story and then kind of talk about sort of some implications or how it fits into a greater social narrative after the fact and i feel like hbo was just trying to do too much or something yeah, um, I think they were just taking it. I mean, because while, and I mean, listeners, if you're a newcomer, by the way, welcome to the show. I hope you uh, don't just tune in to hear what we have to say about this because it won't make sense because we know so much about this fucking, <laughs> this this festival. Um, but I think the HBO one really, they wanted to have the darkness, you know, that, that was the driving force behind it. Whereas the Netflix one was kind of more like objective. And it's like, this is like, this is what happened. Right. Blah, blah, blah. But like they, they, they didn't use like too many of like the modern day buzzwords, yes. you know, that like HBO really harped on. And they had a way better roster of they uh, had, interviews. They subjects. had way better interviews. And that could be because of Netflix money, even though HBO should ought to have HBO money from all the successful shows they've had. Um, but Netflix is technically the newcomer, so they might be a little more bold. And I mean, it feels like Netflix has been throwing a ton of money at a ton of projects as of late. Um, so maybe HBO is, you know, who knows? But yeah, I felt like there was just a much clearer, just like we got to tell the story. But within that, you still got a lot of darkness and a lot of the fucked sure. up shit. Like for me, because well, it's there. Yeah. For me, as someone who has spent all this time researching the subject watching it i was still i mean this sounds corny but i still found myself being like oh shit like what the fuck is about to happen like like the tension (laughs) there of being like oh my god like this is like stuff that i've known like i know what's gonna happen next and still just kind of being like anxiety like fuck this is this isn't cool you know it's like i feel like they got the tone so well i just like and using pic- just using the images and the interviews of being like, oh, this is how this thing kind of devolved. Well, and so I was like, wow, like 
it's getting me. It's getting me all riled up, you know. And I, I think it was just a lot more present, you know, at, like yeah. or like of the time as opposed to HBO, where they're really looking at it through the lens of a modern day, you know, uh, opinion where it's like we know like things like toxic masculinity and rape culture and things like that. Whereas right. the Netflix one was kind of like, while all that stuff is included in it, they were looking at it from the lens of the like of when it was happening. So there, it's it's a lot more fun, you know, like like it shows a lot more people like having a good time and they really featured a lot of people being interviewed talking about how much fun they had which right. is something that we mentioned on the show a bunch of times and we've gotten a little like the the main bulk of the flack that we have gotten for covering Woodstock 99 as intensely as we did is that people don't like the fact that we've mentioned like hey some people had, like a lot of pe- the m- most people that went had a great time right you know but mm-hmm. th- no one wants to hear that like when, yeah. when they're doing because that's not the the narrative that's been established but for it's still also unearths like some very disturbing stories uh, sure. that heavily imply like a date rape situation sexual assault you know so oh, totally definitely yeah. and like you know but it also is i think just kind of i mean i would say the hbo kind of is is sort of i don't know yeah the hbo was kind of just I don't know. I, I'll stop talking about the HBO because we're talking about the Netflix one, right? Um, the, right. The other, b- the other big thing that was really great about this, especially for us stock nerds, is that they got interviews with Michael Lang, who yeah. has done Woodstock 69, 94, and 99, like the godfather of Woodstock. And then they got John Share, the sort of like capitalist bigwig newcomer yeah. relative who kind of was like, we're, I'm going to come into this project and sort of help you make like we're going to make Woodstock make money and be a profitable venture. Yeah. And both of these promoters, um, you know, and organizers like it's their project. And so for them to be interviewed uh, is a big deal. You know, like the, like the Fred Durst, obviously people like if you again, if you're taking the elevator pitch style Woodstock, it's like supposed to be Woodstock shit went wrong limp biscuit played it was a riot fred durst inside right like that's like kind of the you know when you really surface level and so to but to actually interview these promoters and organizers michael ling and yeah. john share that was like bit for uh, me like nerding out like oh shit they got well them totally but on when i well because share was in was in the hbo one but lang was not and lang you know because he's so well known for doing for creating woodstock in general he's never really talked about 99 too much like you know in any woodstock documentary like that came out you know after 99 or any talk of course like they talk about it briefly and like i've you know he's mentioned it in interviews here and there um when he was trying to start woodstock 50 and get that going there was almost no mention of 99 and why it would be a bad idea to do it again so it was like cool to have him in there but I One of like, the craziest. Sorry, I felt like Cher, like he talked more in the in the Netflix one. Well, Lang sure. is laid back, man. He's a groove child, right? No, I, I meant Cher. I felt like Cher got more screen time in the Netflix versus Cher in the HBO. I could be remembering that. Well, right. I, I think that the reason why Cher would get, be given more screen time uh, as opposed to Lang is because Cher is the uh, Cher is the true face of Woodstock '99, yes. whereas Michael Lang is just the face of Woodstock, right? You know, and mm-hmm. like. There was there's great footage like a lot of this footage we had seen, um, including the footage from 
of the the guy that they interviewed, Colin, who was on our triple header uh, Survivor Story episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's the one that took ecstasy randomly from a girl at a rave at the right. rave, and then mm-hmm. woke up and was like, "Oh shit, I'm frying!" Yeah, like yeah. that shit. Like so, th- there, but I had seen that footage during a meeting that we had when because again we were going to get it by the Netflix outbid us. Um, us the the, the team uh, we, right. we were very low men on the totem pole on uh, in, in that whole yeah. mm-hmm. deal but mm-hmm. uh f- some footage that they had that i had never seen that i, I thought was like holy shit was all the big wigs sitting around a table planning it out and share like not mincing words at all being like no like we're here to make money right like mm-hmm. we like let's talk about pricing and products and like right. blah 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 and they they i don't think they mention it by name but they talk about the company that they're bringing in to handle all that which is ogden enterprises they they were in charge of the food and drink stuff um they also mentioned like just when talking about the culture of the time they talked about how american pie was the great i was like yes mention of a titty comedy you yes. know what I mean? like that's yeah. so important yes. to this you know mm-hmm. whereas like before you know in documentary it'd be oh fight club was like the thing and that really shows you like the kind of toxic masculine but no it's like american pie is a better example of like the quintessential 99 movie that would play into the psyche of your average woodstock 99 attendee yeah, though I, I mean, they also do talk about Fight Club in right. They they the mention it because you have to, and, but yeah. and the but also you know the aggression in terms of the music because again you know the acts booked there was a ton of fucking new metal you know and so that aggression right. and I mean you know Limp Biscuit nerd here uh, Fred Durst <laughs> makes a truly bizarre Fight Club reference on um, the song Living It Up on Chocolate Starfish. He brags about how many times he has seen the movie Fight Club. Cool so, story, um, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that, Jesus. I get, you know, uh, uh, you know, folks, also my brain is a little scrambled because before we, we recorded this, we recorded uh, an, a new episode of our other show, Culture Dumps, which if you never made the, the switch over, do check it out. We talk about a different topic every week. But uh, that the topic that we just talked about is very close to, <laughs> to this Fight Club kind of shit. But anyways... Um, I also liked, you know, because we mentioned this before uh, on, on, you know, in one of the episodes about the girls gone wild aspect of the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to have someone from pay-per-view being like to have, like see them in this documentary and be like, yeah, like we were told, like, do it like girls gone wild. Like we want that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like fueling this fucking fire yeah. of all the terrible shit. Um, and I mean, they also I thought something that was interesting was i mean corn gets so much love yes. in in this yeah and they showed but they showed the medic tent and it's just like yeah it's like a triage it's a horror movie it's fucking vietnam it's like it's mm-hmm. insane you yeah. know seeing all those people so sick and you can hear their moans and you hear the music in the background but what i never considered and i mean we did talk about how corn you know they're known as the biggest band of the first day but they weren't the headliner bush was yeah and it was interesting mm-hmm. to hear like gavin rosdale he's like yeah like how do you follow like that mm-hmm. you yeah. know <laughs> like fuck right. But again, it's kind of I, I felt like they did a good job also because, you know, that I was like, oh, this is a kind of nuanced thing to talk about Bush at Woodstock 99 because it really doesn't necessarily need to fall into the narrative. And maybe because they just like secured Gavin Rosdale for the interview. like OK, well, we need to talk about Bush. Also, a hugely successful and popular band at the time. But they do this thing where they're kind of like, how are they going to follow 
corn and they kind of have the audio edited where it's like making it seem like it's going to be crickets. But in reality, like Bush also had the crowd like they brought the set. People fucking loved their set, too. Um, And so I felt like they did a good job of kind of playing with the drama of like, oh, Bush is like not nearly as crazy as corn, but then actually still delivering on like the true story of like, no, but it was fine. And also because, and as we mentioned, like Bush, you know, they have this moment where they, uh, they quote, uh, they like recite a part of Allen Ginsberg's howl, you know? Oh yeah. And so they also, they also quoted, uh, I forgot what act, but like an actual line from the original Woodstock, which of course was lost on the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of also just to mention how, like, Bush, even though they were this, like, very, like, post-grunge 90s band, you know, they they were a band that was trying to, like, honor the, the Woodstock 69 and have some sort of, of that 60s counterculture mentality in it. Free love, baby. Yeah. Um, and well, Gavin also on that great. day one shit, <laughs> but when you talk about the, the comparison, like the juxtaposition, mm-hmm. um, they did a really good one where they're showing, you know, because they talked about all the different stuff that was available, which I felt, again, this one's just way more focused on what actually happened at the festival rather than like the lasting repercussions or like right. how the, we as a society the now look back at it. The festival is fucked up, you know, as it is, but also in a way they do it, but they also, they just give you enough to be like, they do give you context of the culture itself. Because, yeah. yeah, there were a bunch of, like, amped up, crazy fucking frat white boys there. So it's not like to pretend like it that wasn't a part of it. But they just didn't. Because, I mean, the thing to me about the HBO is they had, like, at least, like, two or three people who weren't at Woodstock getting screen time right. as talking heads. Now, the irony being you and I haven't been to Woodstock. Yeah, but, no one fucking asked us to be no on camera. Ha- but... It was just one of those things where I was so annoyed because it was like consistently on the HBO doc. Like every time you needed this sort of millennial kind of buzzword quote of like all these social justice issues, those people were ready to provide it. And I was like, damn, it didn't. Is there not a woman who went to Woodstock 99 who can't come to this conclusion herself? You know what I mean? Who can't say like, I felt uncomfortable from gropey grabby From men all there. this terrible shit but it's yeah. like no we need a millennial who wasn't there to like say yeah, it who knows like, all the words yeah right. who knows all the hashtags. So that, that yeah. was incredibly irritating and because they did interview someone um shit i'm blanking on her name um but she was an attendant there and she like at one hand on one hand was describing crowd surfing and being like being groped by people as she's crowd surfing and also being like yeah it made me feel uncomfortable and also like she gets interviewed later uh at woodstock is like it was really scary it's like and i would totally go again you know what i mean right well sometimes hindsight's 2020 but sure what i was gonna say is there's like a great um comparison shot where they're showing the tibetan monks like and then yes. it, and then it flashes to the offspring and it's just mm-hmm. like this is going on and then this is going on yes and yes. that's kind of it in a nutshell uh also heather. going back Sorry. yeah heather. heather oh yeah. yeah and actually uh she reached out to us and said that there was a lot of stuff that she wanted to talk about that they either sidelined or cut out and uh you know, work, working on maybe having her on. So, That'd be awesome. well, you know, f- f- fingers crossed for that. Um, they they do show our, our favorite Wyclef Jean, but yeah. no one, I feel like no one has the balls to say like this, like what the fuck was that? You but, know they did, I mean? but they did it closer where they're playing 
so yeah Wycliffe, Jean, I mean, again, I don't know if we're going to get new listeners where we might, you know, there's a there's a very deep amount of uh, shit on this show we've already talked about. If you don't right. know, Wycliffe, Jean has one of the truly most bizarre and terrible performances that a multi-platinum professional musician could possibly do at one of the biggest music festivals in the world. Uh, it definitely seemed like he thought of everything he was going to do that morning and like hired a band on the way to the festival. No one seems to have any clue what the fuck is going on. And he does this rendition of the star spangled banner that, I mean, that to me is one of the biggest, most hilarious, the biggest moment in podcast. That that is one of my favorite moments is watching him do the star spangled banner. Now what they did do is they did kind of play it out over scenes of, intense trash and shit mud so i felt like in a right. way it was like a subtle dig they certainly no one <laughs> no one was praising his set but no one has come out and been like what the fuck? damn Wyclef john did one of the worst fucking sets of all time you know <laughs> yeah. and it, like it, it is truly like some of this shit is objective uh, subjective but like i want to find one person to like be on board you know, yeah, like, like we were confused. What the fuck was that? Like even like when Everlast does a cover of Jump Around, like people oh people will defend that as being artsy, you know, but like who's going to defend the Wyclef set? Um again, we're getting a little a little yeah. uh Oh, well, speaking of sets, there, though, right? um, one thing that I did not know um, that I didn't in all of the reports and everything that we that we dug up, all the newspapers, everything. One thing. That, and I guess that's the benefit of, you know, having these documentaries come out is like little tidbits here and there. I actually tried to re-listen. Try, I stress uh, the word tried. Tried to re-listen to early podcast ninety nine episodes. <laughs> it's a little harsh, uh, you know, to go back and re-listen to some of that. We were, we were. I'll never you know, do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, we, we, you know, we talked about how James Brown doesn't come out on stage for like a long fucking time, yes. mm-hmm. and that was explained. Like I thought it was just like a crowd pump up thing, but no, like traditionally he just wouldn't go on stage until he was paid cash and paid hand. in full cash. Up and they front. were like, well, that's not going to happen right now. And so, like, they got the crowd amped up. So he would be like, like are you just not going to go out there? Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck it. So he goes out there and plays. So that was an interesting fact that I did not know. Yes. Um, I definitely learned, like, even through all this, there was shit. And, I mean, I was like, damn you, Netflix. You guys got some money to, like, pull some shit. Because, like, some of the footage that was submitted was incredible. Um, yeah. And we don't have access to that. Uh, but, like... The yeah, the behind the scenes, the meeting stuff, some of Colin's footage, like sort of the people working the festival and yeah, kind there's of, Peace wh- Patrol footage of them selling their shirts and yeah, shit, which is like nuts. The, the the guy who what the Peace Patrol, like the guy from Brooklyn, and they're like, what does yeah. Woodstock mean to you? And he's like, drugs and bitches. <laughs> <laughs> um, Classic. No, he says like bitches and sex or something where you're like, that God. seems like kind of like you're you're going for the same thing there. But he's really like doubling down on it. Um, and then yeah, sex just, fucking and intercourse. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, just some of that was just so good. And just like there was just good stories. Um, one of my f- so one of my favorite stories, I'm sure you, you dug this, too. is So so Michael Lang had this like assistant um pilar law right yeah so she's in it and she's like giving great accounts of just like she's kind of like michael lang's right hand man and we can get into that later um but she has a very important role in the festival but then her mom 
Lisa Law, like had been right. at the Woodstock '69. So it's probably one of these yeah, crazy like legacy things. Right? Yeah, like she was a photographer there. She obviously has known L- Michael Lang for years, and she's you know so now her daughter is like in the biz too or whatever. And Lisa Law is there. And she's like, because as we've mentioned many times, the tr- and if you've seen the documentary, the trash situation, like all the infrastructure started fucking going downhill really, really quick, deteriorating. Yeah. So the trash wasn't getting collected um, in part because they were cutting corners, in part because people were taking... People were the, just quitting. People were quitting. People were just taking the trash cans and turning them into uh, 72-hour drum circles. But anyway, the trash <laughs> the trash wasn't happening, and Lisa Law, this this mama, this like Earth mama who had been at the original, is like driving around handing out trash bags. People like like hey, like you know, you guys just pick up the trash, and they're just kind of like, what the fuck? Like what the we fuck? we paid yeah. 150 bucks for this. Y'all should be picking up the trash, which is very true. Like very true. And also, this isn't fucking 69, dude. Right, but she, but it's like, but also, so she kind of has this big like slap in her face hippie moment, and then there's also that art that like they like start knocking it over, and she's like, oh, no, right. don't knock it over. This is a piece of art, and she like makes them like put it back. <laughs> um, but it's funny because she all on one hand does kind of present as the classic like clueless hippie, but on the other yeah. hand, she's so spot on. She's like, no, like these the people the attendees aren't being treated right and that's what's wrong with the festival you know and so she has this great point she's just like i don't think had the capacity to truly like maybe know how to fix it or she's just one person or whatever but yeah like that was the big thing and i and that's where i felt like having lang and share together kind of give their side but you know it's very hard to like see it from their perspective yeah, well, and I mean, it's like consistent damage control. Where, where, and like Lang's whole thing was like, it's unfortunate, blah blah, like very soft spoken about it. And Cher is just like, like he's just so over getting blamed that he's like defensive, you know. And mm-hmm. that came across in the last documentary. It like I felt at the beginning of the Netflix one, he seemed a little bit more reserved and mm-hmm. a little bit more understanding. Maybe after getting flack for all the shit he said in the HBO one, but then he goes right back to his normal shit by the end. Oh yeah, well because of the sexual assault, it's like it seems like he's friends with Cheryl Crow, so he's like Cheryl Crow got catcalled completely inappropriate, and you're like, and right. it starts off, you're like, oh, he's like, he's kind of like soften he's like understanding yeah i was like oh he turned the corner yeah but then they kind of they get both of them to i mean again and it does like the movie kind of the whole documentary kind of climaxes with like after the festival was over after all the shit after all the fires then came these reports of rape you know just straight up like rape itself and they both have a moment to kind of speak on that and they both just are kind of like i mean ultimately political maneuvers like we don't really want to acknowledge that we had a festival that had multiple accounts of rape and so they yeah. kind of don't re- i mean and, and that in itself is not something like it's not that they were it's i mean that particular thing is incredibly fucked up to have happened at their festival and i do think it's a kind of you know it's it is a moral great like it's not like right. they're responsible for that themselves but they were responsible for having a safe festival environment as jonathan davis of corn says you know they yes. were and so obviously it, but it's just kind of one of those things where it's like just f- 
for the love of God, just like at least just try to like try your best to acknowledge how shitty that is that something yeah. that this happened at your festival, you know? Well, I think that like I, I mean, and again, like you said, yeah, it's like they're not and in, in in my opinion, like directly responsible for like the sexual assault aspect of of Woodstock '99. They're they are directly responsible for like the looting and for the fires and for like the you know the the medic tents being like overran because of insufficient you know yeah i think but they were preparations and all that but like and and i think so i feel like they're just like like you're not gonna put that one on us you know what i mean like that we had nothing to do with it it's just like yeah but But it doesn't work it happened in your house you know but it doesn't work because they are not taking the blame for anything else so like so then to also be like and the rapes too and it's like yeah it all like your your responsibility should be to like try and foster a good festival a safe festival and like obviously yeah. if that many because john share he does this thing he was like well the number of people there was like about <laughs> the number of a small town and so if you take a small town there's gonna be there's this, crimes there's gonna be crimes and like yes there is a point but it's also like yeah, but also like a town is not the same as a festival just because there's a number of people there. Yeah, and a small town might experience the amount of crimes that happened at Woodstock '99 over the course of like years. Yeah, you know, not three days. <laughs> if like, yeah, if a town of two hundred fifty thousand people was having, you know, I mean, the reports, you know, they were having like eight hardcore sexual assaults a day <laughs> yeah, and like multiple fires and looting and like people like we talked about people being held up with knives and shit. It's like, doesn't, yeah, that'd be, that's like Gotham. That's, a, that's an unsafe <laughs> fucking town. Like, you know, yeah. so like his metaphor, yeah, and we would blame the police and the fucking mayors. Yeah. So it was like a horrible metaphor. And I just kind of, but I love that they just like went for it and they were like, yeah, we're going to like exonerate ourselves or like clear our name. It was like, and then honestly, I mean, I don't know if maybe just because of whatever my ingrained love of Woodstock 69, you'd be like, that's Lang, the 69 guy. Or maybe because, you know, I've always had this weird sympathy for him, which again is really should be unfounded at this point, this deep into the podcast. But I was kind of like, this guy is maybe actually like a sociopath, or like a psychopath in a way, because he, he doesn't care. He's so calm. And they kind of talk about how he's so calm in the face of adversity and even when all this stuff's happening. And then I'm like, I feel like this guy actually maybe there's like something wrong with him because he's so calm. It's actually creepy how yeah. unfazed <laughs> he is like it's there's a like this disconnect where you're like all this fucked up shit happened and they're just just too groovy man just kind but he's not groovy he's creepy no he's not groovy he's like creepy because he's just seems to like not actually give a shit it's like it's kind of that hippie thing where i don't know it's like being the hippie of like it's all groovy but it's like no actually like your house is literally on fire like literally on fire and so he, well, yeah, he came off as, I mean, I, I was like, man, he's just like, just like unaffected, like, but also he died like him? shortly after that yeah, rest interview, peace. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, one thing though, I will say the, the Limp Bizkit when, when it gets there, because obviously every documentary is going to focus on Limp Bizkit mm-hmm. for a portion. Um, I really like the fact though, that corn got like in their mosh pit was so like, it, it was covered in so much detail. Um, mm-hmm. That, that was awesome because yeah, like we've said it a million times, the corn mosh pit is it looks crazier than the Limp Biscuit one. Yes. Um, 
but people shit started breaking during Limp Biscuit. Like for instance, the Alamo, the sound tower. That stuff, and they had a guy interview that was in the fucking Alamo. Yes. which is which is crazy. Yeah. But they didn't. They really didn't frame it in a way that made it seem like it was their fault. And maybe that's due to the fact that they had Limp Biscuit's former manager interviewed, who yeah, was like, they paid was... them to come and do what they do at every concert, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. In no way was this like different for Woodstock '99. Like the people's reaction was different, but they're like they knew what they were getting into by hiring these guys. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Um. And in in fact, speaking of fires, it seemed as though that they really kind of harped on the Chili Peppers more. Uh, mm. as, as like a cause because the mayor talked about talking to Anthony Kiedis and it's like you guys gotta yeah. like maybe work on calming these kids down a little bit or like make sure everyone's safe and they're just like well we're just a, we're a band like it's not really our responsibility yeah and like then all the fires and all that shit they had the guy from PAX that distributed the candles like yeah. him being interviewed like I, I just love that they covered all that but most importantly the main thing that they covered that it was it was even kind of difficult to cover on our show with all the digging we did but was the rave yes yeah, they very really big, went in on the rave. Very big rave situation. They uh, they interviewed you know Fatboy Slim. So yeah, who was like evacuated. <laughs> yeah, and so they actually and so then it seemed like he had some personal footage of like on stage, like maybe some of yeah. his entourage was filming. Um, I mean, that's kind of one of the most disturbing parts is the van that gets like commandeered by a like almost blackout raver who's just driving it which like, like again out love child on riding a doobie wave right and you know again i knew about it but then just kind of you actually see the footage and you're like dude all it would take is that guy to like just be heavy Warren. with his foot and like this is a fucking bad situation but then there is a very bad situation happening inside of the van according to the the guy right. who like finally stopped them so again, it is like that harrowing thing where it's like, damn, all these people are like raving, having a great time. Probably some of them are stoked about the van because it just kind of represents this kind of anarchy or chaos. Like chaotic. And yeah. literally like some truly like dark, fucked up, like date rape type situation is happening right in the van. And like, I don't think if well, I people are partying on top, like how fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like, you know, you're hearing this pulsating music. You're pulled into a fucking pitch black metal box by some fucking freaks, you know? Yeah. And like, and there's, and you hear it and like, you're, you know, like not to, like, I don't want to like disturb anyone with my like account, but it's just like, this is what's going through my head when I'm hearing this. Cause like, I just have that vivid kind of like, you know, like just that way of yeah. imagining things. And it's like, you know, you can hear the people on top of the van dancing and the music's pounding and all. It's just like so primal. It is some paganistic fucking yeah. shit, you know? And like, right. it only gets worse. But again, it's, and that's kind of the whole thing with Woodstock is like, if everyone, you know, I don't know the, the, the and I guess that's sort of the, the hippie ideal is just like, well, if everyone could just be having the pagan good time together, but some people, we're not having yeah. There's a dark element, um, and I mean raves. Yeah. I, I like, but, nowadays yeah. it's so much different with you know with the rise of EDM and all that. But I mean, there's a long dark history of raves, especially in the late '80s yes. throughout the '90s. You and, know, where like really clandestine and, shit and, happened and roofies. Yeah, I mean, I feel like people are a lot more aware of roofies and like watch your drink and GHB stuff. But yeah, and I stuff, feel. Yeah. I feel like the um, yeah the '90s when you're already getting super blasted, and then it's kind it's of fucked. it's already this environment to sort of create these like 
fucked up gray areas and yeah like ni- i don't know a ton about 90s raves but like i feel like that again that all you that- need to do is watch the movie the documentary small town ecstasy oh it is fucked <laughs> i don't know i think that might have been early 2000s i think it's wait the wait, 90s wait. no no you showed me that one with the dad yeah where, yeah, where the dad oh, gets divorced and he's like i'm gonna start raving with my kids and their kids are like dad Yes. You're fucked. Uh, you didn't show me that. <laughs> Small town ecstasy, dude. Um, um, but yeah, so I mean, almost like, I guess that, I, it almost feels like that was like, you kind of see like, yeah, this is, you know, because we haven't gotten to see so much of the rave stock, but it's like, no, not only is there this intense new metal presence, which is kind of the aggression vibe or whatever, but then you had a full blown rave happening each night and it went it just completely like, looking at the footage is incredible because you're like, yeah, this went into like complete hedonistic Bedlam, rave yeah. town, like Sodom and Gomorrah type. type to- totally. I mean, more so than any. That's why we were always like, like, where the fuck is all the footage from this shit? And it's like because either people were too fucked up to even think about doing that or it just never made it out because it was just too fucked. Yeah. You know, like people held on to that shit. Um Another well, I mean, and I guess another thing that I liked just thematically about the the Netflix documentary is that rather than I mean, of, of course they do touch on like you know the reason why a lot of these, especially the men, acted the way, or I mean, definitely the men acted the way that they did was because of the different societal standards and stuff. But they really kind of followed the timeline uh, logistically of what pissed people off. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. I- including like you know, I, they it starts with the water being four dollars, and you see a sign for seven, and then it goes all the way up to even twelve. Well, and then yeah. and then they they really they talked about the uh, special act that never happened where yes. everyone was told mm-hmm. oh there's going to be a big surprise and everyone's thinking well this is the biggest festival of the fucking decade you know going into the year 2000 is it going to be like fucking you know guns and roses is it going to be wh- whatever the fuck you oh, know they that said everyone so thought. many different funny things i mean they cuz rumors said, were just flying they said prince bob dylan rolling stones michael jackson that would have been so insane. But like any one of these acts, I mean, Dylan would have been a big letdown. Um, but any one of those other <laughs> Michael acts, Jackson would have been really fucking weird. Like, yeah, Woodstock it would have been weird. Like, weird but at the same time, it's just a caliber of celebrity that like if those are the rumors going around and see, it seemed like they were so ignorant to like they just didn't realize like if you're making it coy you like don't realize that people are going to assume something massive is going to happen. I mean, didn't that right. happen at like a festival recent that happened at like a um, Tyler, the creator has a music festival and he kept teasing like a secret guest and everyone thought it was Frank oh, and it was Ocean. Drake. Everyone thought it was Frank Ocean because they're friends and Frank Ocean is this kind of like enigmatic presence you right. know, and he's like, so, and then when it was Drake, who was a huge fucking artist, people were pissed, you know, right. and like booed Drake. So imagine the, if you think it's Michael Jackson and it's a video of Jimmy Hendrix, of Jimmy Hendrix. you know, yeah. like the disparity there is fucking, that's horrible. That That's the whole thing. But I, I like that they did, they did focus on that. Uh, also, you know, my favorite Jewel was in yep, this. Right. She's amazing. She, she is the queen. She is yes. the queen of Woodstock 99. Um, she is the only uh, female legend of Woodstock 99 yes. uh, as we categorized her. But yeah, she talks about, you know, okay, like we did our set. There weren't like, too many ladies performing. So. Not too many <laughs> ladies. And she was the best of the three. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I am. Oh, but 
Um, yeah, she's like, yeah, and then we just fucking left because it's like, okay, time to go. Uh, yeah. Kind of a thing. And they describing did show... it being like, that was weird. Like, that was different than a normal show. Yeah, that was weird show. and different. Yeah, there's a guy. I mean, fuck, there's a guy holding up a blow up doll, like, during her set, like, what? Yeah. During Jewel. Like, what the fuck? Um, but also on our triple header survivor stories, uh, I believe it was Colin talked about the guy who's in the Netflix doc. He talked about. Um, hearing like a group of like a hundred guys marching, screaming, raging against the machine. And there's like footage of that. Like they yeah. showed like that. And I the was like, fuck. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That was incredible that they, yeah. Some of that, just the riot type at the end of Sunday, some of that footage, like, I mean, when they are like in the, the staff compound and the dude is literally barricading, the doors with wood and a hammer Dude, and they have when i saw that that. <laughs> I, that that footage was taken by brian who was also on the triple header yeah. and i went to like this fucking office in north hollywood with the producers of the one that that we worked on and he had brought his camera like he didn't even have like he still had it on like the mini dv or whatever the fuck the camera mm. had at the time and like they had like a tech guy come and hook it up to the tv and like that was when we were like in the thick of what's of doing podcast 99. Like we hadn't even finished like mm-hmm. covering the, the actual shows yet. Yeah. And like, that was like the most mind blowing shit I had ever seen. And I was so bummed when I found out that we got outbid on that footage, yeah. but I'm just glad that it's somewhere. Cause like, like when have you ever seen with the exception of like fucking hurricane footage, like yeah. when have you ever seen people board or, up a fucking door? Like or it's not like a living in dead. a third world country with like a coup d'etat where like some military <laughs> group is like about to murder the president, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it, it was, it was totally crazy as fuck that that was great. Um, one thing though, uh, our survivor who's been on a couple times, Andy, um, he told, like, he just, I think, it, I, I'm pretty sure it was him. He texted me, and he's just like, trench mouth, something I did not know mm-hmm. about or hear about, but yeah. people were mm-hmm. developing trench mm-hmm. mouth, which is yes. like a bacterial infection that causes, like, these ulcers in your yeah. fucking mouth, and that was from the cross-contamination from right. the water. There was also the water, the health inspector who was taking samples of the water from various oh, yeah. points around the site, and he said at one point uh, most of the samples had some trace of human fecal matter so like Ugh. even the stuff that wasn't overtly poop water had a little poop in it it's all poop water um yeah it was all but they say water. and i don't and i'm sure this i'm sure you had caught this before ryan but like that the like sunday press conference and the monday morning press conference like the damage control where john share is like it was 50 knuckleheads and you're yeah. just like and then, and then, just to be able to show literally more than fifty people doing all this crazy shit, all this shit, yeah. And so for him to just sit there and be like fifty knuckleheads. Well, he's you know. also the one that said that, like, he floated the possibility that maybe there was a clandestine cult, basically yes. that infiltrated the festival with the explicit purpose right. of causing trouble. And actually, a listener of ours uh, sent us a message, and it was a link to like a very old format website, like yeah. very old. Mm-hmm. And it was um, someone that studies conspiracy theories about MK Ultra and like CIA mm-hmm. meddling mm-hmm. in counterculture. And there is a conspiracy theory that it's at least 
like peddled by one guy on a angel fire website, basically saying that like, there's a possibility that the CIA like had some Manchurian style candidates, you know, in, in Woodstock 99 that they like flipped the switch on to see what would happen. Wow. Like, which is like so crazy, it, but like well, a funny also, thought. And also, and I mean, we've mentioned that's last, like some John share shit. Like share would yeah, latch onto that. We've also mentioned last podcast. They on the left and they just did a big one on MK ultra and if you listen to that, I mean, basically the CIA is responsible for providing the counterculture with all the acid that made yeah. the counterculture happen in the first place. So that would be, I feel like I can't believe that one unless they were just like, whoa, that was a big whoopsie. We just gave Ken Kesey like a ton of acid. So better like <laughs> try to like have a, anyway, that, that particular of all the Manchurian candidates like Woodstock '99 bros are like, like all of a sudden like, and just like pro like zoom right. in like. because it's like no, you actually gave them the acid in the first place. But um, there was uh, some other uh, some other great little John Share moments is um because as we mentioned the candles that they yeah. handed out horrible idea. John Share goes, well, Michael was the candle guy, um, just like <laughs> you know, just like. Also, Michael Lang just being like, yeah, John kind of booked all the metal bands. Just these like very like flippant like things. And it's like, but um, I could see that, too, because John Cher was like, I want to make the fucking sure, money. Sure. So let's get the biggest bands ever. They just yeah. so happen to be DMX, Corn, Limp Bizkit. While Cher or while Lang is like, um, let's have like Willie Nelson. Come. Let's have Mickey Hart. I can also yeah. see. Yeah. And, and Lang does mention how he wanted Willie Nelson Sunday morning specifically. Um Michael Lang also had this great moment in the press conference. So after many people, after they started tearing the peace wall down in obvious acts of kind of like rage, maybe not obvious, whatever. Uh, Lang is at the press conference saying the exterior wall was like this amazing souvenir. And I guess they were just breaking it into smaller pieces so they could take it home with them. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like, that's okay. It. Then that's what at that point I was like. How many like blatantly, like ignorantly Ignorant optimistic things, yeah. things are you gonna say? Where I'm like you, I'm like you're like if anyone is the fucking MK Ultra op, it's you, Michael <laughs> Lang, because you have this like sociopathic disconnect with what is happening. You're just like it's totally ignoring delusional. shit. He also says like when they're like, so why do you think it happened? Basically, like the way it did, and he's like, well, they just weren't ready to stop partying, and it's just like. Uh, like, dude, like, there's so much more to be said, uh, for it, for it than that. I mean, fucking Christ, dude. Like there's like, again, there's just so much like, at, like stacked on top of this fucking festival that yeah. there is just no denying it. And while like there's personal responsibility and professional responsibility and personally, yeah, Michael Lang wasn't there guiding the hands of those that were tearing shit apart professionally. He was the one that set up that fucking festival that allowed it to crumble the way that it did. Yeah. And then he also does his classic Woodstock will live forever and kind of like this sort of ego delusion thing. And it's like, I mean, dude, uh, you know, again, Woodstock 69 has kind of kept its place, but like, it's not, I don't know, man, you kind of, and just like seeing him play himself in 2019 with trying yeah. to get 50 to happen. I'm like, it's just crazy. I mean, I don't know, like maybe when you're doing things on that scale, you kind of have to have that sort of delusion to be like, no, you know, 
the last Woodstock I threw kind of fucked up in a big way. Yeah, and the one the, before that didn't make any fucking money. And then the one that I tried to throw two years ago didn't happen because I just thought I could Woodstock it into existence, <laughs> you know, which we've talked a lot about how the irony of him thinking that the Woodstock name is going to get him somewhere when obviously the last Woodstock was fucking Woodstock 99 and all this fucked yeah. up shit happened. Well, and it's, I mean, it's such a generational thing. Cause you know, you and I, like we were kids when, when it happened and that's why it stuck out in our brains, you know, yeah. cause like it was MTV and we were obsessed with all those bands cause we were told that they were cool, blah, blah, blah. So it's like our thing. But now what I love about the Netflix one coming out and I'm seeing all this press about it and like it's Woodstock 99 is trending on, you know, social media apps and stuff like that is like, that's going to be like what like where 69 was generationally for us as as kids and teens like learn, getting into music that's Woodstock 99 for kids that are like under 25 yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. like they don't like 69 right. is way too far back. Yeah. 99 is like the shit that's going to come back into style, like fashion wise and, and everything else and like throwback wise. And that's what they have. And it's like I love that. And I'm yeah. just like proud to say that we, you know, covered it so much to our heart's content. Yes. But um, I don't know, man. I think that's that's pretty much what I got on, on this one. I've got a I, so there's a couple of Michael. Yeah, Lang yeah, has a, he's yeah. got a great quote. uh a few strident anarchists. Um, John <laughs> well Sh- said Shakespeare. Uh, John Cher called them the lunatic fringe, which like is that sick fucking. That's like class- a jam band. Well, no, there's that. I'm gonna. There's a sick classic rock song called Lunatic Fringe, and um, and then he also said they were entitled and fearful of growing up, um, which are just great fucking. Uh, quotes there um also we didn't get to interview this guy scott but scott's footage is in there i found him on the facebook group and now thinking about it i have been messaging him and maybe he had already been talking to netflix and that's why he kind of didn't like follow through but scott was this like drunk guy who's like leaving the festival and they start seeing the fires and they're like dude we gotta like stop the car we gotta stop the car and they just like pull off (laughs) and just start filming stuff and they're just running around and he's like very much an amateur reporter he has a mic and he's like wasted and he's kind of like screaming like like screaming into the mic oh yeah but he captures this incredible footage and he captures like this the car that's burnt out he captures some of the um 18 wheelers actually blowing up like the moment they blow up when it hits the gas so yeah some of the footage just oh really really great it it is I highly recommend it. And out of the two documentaries that now exist, this is the better one. Yeah. And of course, doesn't touch the mystery tape, but that's a whole nother story. For sure. <laughs> oh, and then the other great Michael Lang quote towards the end is the kids of the 90s were in a different headspace. And it's like, no <laughs> shit. Like, also, like, because that's just such an ignorant thing to say. Like, Every generation of kids is in a different headspace. Yeah, that's what, what the it, fuck. That's time. That's but society. Also he, doesn't even, he doesn't even fucking recognize. I mean, Cher at least recognizes that 94 was like a failure commercially, you know, and like show like and there's footage of, of people cr- gate crashing. But like people died at the original Woodstock and like it was almost like they almost had to bring in the military and like the place mm-hmm. was considered a disaster site afterwards. Like yeah. he never mentions any of that shit. Yeah. You know, like he like. Dude, we talked about it a million times on the show. It's the Woodstock curse. Yeah. Oh, one other thing. They got this interview of Ananda Lewis, the uh, MTV 
Oh, uh, yeah, she was great. So good. Everything she had to say was so fucking good. And she said butt-ass naked. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's like a thing people used to say, butt-ass naked. Yeah. But she was, <laughs> she was so good. I felt like, and again, that was the kind of thing where it's like, that's all you need. You just need someone who is there, who is smart and knows, can like speak well. And then, boom, yeah. they can give all the insight you need for a good documentary. She yeah. was amazing. So. Yeah. Also, you know, one, one thing I'll say, uh, and it never, like, I mean, it you never get, like, desensitized to it. Like, when they do start talking about the assaults and stuff and they're showing some of the gropes, like, mm-hmm. it's still so fucking rough. Yeah. Like, and, and, like, you realize, like, because on the show, you know, we would always cover it, like, kind of, like, I mean, obviously, at, like, towards the end of our official coverage of the festival, you know, I give the police records and I tell some like very detailed accounts mm-hmm. of some of the like very serious offenses like that. But we would like, it was happening so much and we watched every single set of every act that we just be like, right. Oh yeah. And then you there's a grope it. during this yeah. song. There's a grope. Like you almost forget the severity and not forget, but like the severity of it. And then, but seeing it yeah. like again, it's, in this no, context is vi- so brutal. Right. Yeah. Because it was different pictures i hadn't seen and so each new picture you see of someone is a new person's life fucked is someone doing that and again also it means it's they're not doing that for the cameras so they're just doing that on their own timeline and on their own accord and the camera is catching it meaning that like it's happening uh, all over um so yeah that and i think also um there were some pictures um uh, um Mike Schreiber who was on our show definitely recognized oh, yeah. his photos on there that was really cool um but yeah there was also this moment where Lang in referring to the as- sexual assault saying it happened in secret and it's like well then what are these fucking photos in broad daylight you yeah, know and like, why was the pay-per-view cameras like why were they able to capture so many right things like you know i mean fuck and so like, again i guess it's you know and it's like here we are just like little podcast trolls like talking shit but like really like you know it's one thing to like kind of when it happens but it was it was to see these images where i'm like i mean how do you how do you spin an image of like someone just doing stuff like that in any way other than like yeah he's just violating her personal space and then to have these organizers still like doubling down you know that to me yeah, is the thing yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah it definitely was placing it way more on them and ultimately it was kind of this situation where a lot of it was a perfect shit storm because again it wasn't that they it was were a train wreck it was a train wreck it's not <laughs> i mean they, they weren't like let's throw a sexual assault festival it wasn't <laughs> you know it wasn't like a sexual assault theme festival obviously there were people What's the theme <laughs> there were people in that crowd doing that shit and it's like it you know and you also can't say the water was expensive so i'm gonna like fucking assault like i'm gonna molest someone because the water was expensive you know what i mean right. like there were bad people in the crowd and also yeah you did have a bunch of you know i don't know so like there were a lot of fucking things you know it was it, also, it was titled perfectly yeah it was exactly. a train wreck yeah um I, I i thought i i vaguely remember seeing a maybe it was like a concept poster or something where the original title was clusterfuck 
I thought uh, uh, I saw that too. Yeah. But. Yeah, but th- then it's train wreck probably because they're like, okay, we can't. Because you know what the problem was? I, they Netflix released that documentary, "Don't Fuck with Cats." Yes. And like, while it was popular, like I think that that title kept it out of like the running for being like like recognized by like awards and things like that. Yes. Cause like mm-hmm. they're not going to have someone on stage be like, and it goes to fucking the right. word fuck, you know? Oh, so. also, sorry. One other nerd thing, Jonathan Davis in a previous documentary had kind of blamed Fred. Uh, yes. And in this one, he distinctly says like, you can't blame Fred for that, man. So yeah. he kind of like, go. they probably made, they probably got, Fred probably got mad at him and then they probably had hugged it out. And had a cry, yeah. and then the next time he's like, "Next time I'm on camera, I'm, I'll, you know." <laughs> I did like that 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 Fred Durst isn't in any of these. He's not in any know? of these, and he's yeah, they like, had the Limp Biscuit this. manager. Like, yeah, but it's funny because on the was it the twentieth anniversary of Woodstock? Or no, no, it was it was last summer when Limp Biscuit. When the first HBO documentary came out, Limp yeah, Biscuit and then played they, and then they yeah, and he was like. Fucking Woodstock, you know. He just yeah, like, he's like this isn't it. fucking Woodstock '99. No, he's like, right. hey, take it easy. This isn't Woodstock '99. Right. While he's like headlining like Lollapalooza, you know. So yeah, yeah, crazy <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, that that was awesome. What what, what yeah. a time to be alive, folks. Yeah. So again, that that's Trainwreck, the Netflix documentary about Woodstock '99. Uh, we definitely highly recommend it. Obviously, uh, the one that we did not work on it. But we did work on another one that will be coming out uh, hopefully by the end of the year. And thankfully, due to this resurgence of interest, we have a couple new survivors lined up. So we're never done. We're never leaving Griffith's Air Force Base. We will always, you know, (laughs) have Woodstock 99 in our periphery. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't checked out our other show, Culture Dumps, do it. We cover... New topic every week. Um, you could say that Woodstock 99 is the ultimate culture dump, which is why it got its own series. But we've covered you know, everything from Beanie Babies to uh, Disco Demolition to Pickup Artists to Osiris D3s to fucking, I mean, all kinds, like everything. There's uh, there's almost 80 episodes of that. Mm-hmm. So, so check yeah. that out. And for exclusive content, for instance, like watch-along commentaries for Woodstock 99 sets, as well as uh, like we did an episode about the complete timeline of the Woodstock 50 debacle, things like that, sign up to patreon.com slash culture dumps. And uh, if you worked at, went to, or played Woodstock 99, contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast99. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Parks Miller, and we'll see you at Woodstock. Ah, feels good to hear that again. <laughs>